Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, each year we celebrate Christmas, and I, I love Christmas. How about you? There's just something about it. Yesterday, Kristen was baking all kinds of goodies. The house smelled amazing. We, we had the fake fire on the fireplace with jazz Christmas going. You know, I almost felt like I could warm up next to it. It probably got hot. It was on for hours. But we had the tree lights on and just enjoying things. And there's just such a beautiful atmosphere. But something that as believers we celebrate, it's like Bruce said, you know, Jesus was born exactly December 25th. No, I know. It's when we celebrate. But we do celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior. And I think it's important that we see that. But what is the message behind the gift from God, behind the gift of Jesus, God in flesh? Love is a traditional answer. But I think that the message was so much more than just his love for us. I think this transcends even that. It really sends a message to humanity from our creator God. Think about this. Our creator is sending us a message more than just, hey, here's Jesus. But it's something that resonates within us to say, wow, there's more to life than maybe the way I've been walking and what I've been doing. And I think Christmas is a, a great moment for us to focus in because we give gifts. And so we think about that idea of giving. Think about that idea of giving without looking for a return gift. We extend gifts to people because we love them. And I think many times we can lose the, the, the key fact that God gave to us because he was willing and wanted to. It wasn't because he had to. It wasn't because we begged and pleaded. In fact, we're going to look at a moment how we actually consider God and ourselves enemies against each other. And even in the midst of that, God gives us a gift. Now, that's love, isn't it? So I think there's so much to be said about eternity and what that means. And we believe in eternity. eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's very important to me. But I think there's this important value that God's showing us that this is relational and it applies to our lives here and now. Something you'll hear a lot at Faith City Church is about the here and now. It's not that we disregard the sweet by and by, but Jesus came for more than just giving you a ticket to heaven in the future. Jesus wanted to show you that repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is within you, so let it out. Let those around you experience the kingdom of God after you begin to experience the kingdom of God. Because how many know that sometimes we have to awaken to that? In, in different facets of our life at different times, amen? And so today I want to wrap up this series called The Message of Christmas. We started this a couple weeks ago, and we've talked about a few different things. We talked about being redeemed. Say redeemed. Man, redemption is amazing. Being bought back out of slavery, being completely forgiven, uh, sin no longer having a, a hold on us. We have no longer any bondage of sin in our life. Isn't that beautiful? And then last week, we talked about being restored, about that full restoration. I use that example of when my car got into an accident, and uh, the guy at the body shop said, well, you know, black. It was a black car, and he said, brand new. And he said, you know, it's really tough to feather in black. It's one of the hardest colors. But I remember arriving to the place, and he had the car inside this room with lights on either side flashing down so you could see every imperfection, and it was flawless. It's like I had never been in an accident, and I was just blown away. I was like, this is amazing, because that was my baby back then. Remember that black Bonneville I had, Maggie? That was bad, wasn't it? 
That's what we said in the 80s. That's bad. <laughs> Meaning it's good. Anyone under the age of 25 were like, what do you mean it was bad? But, yeah. But it was, it was as if nothing had ever happened. The accident had never happened. And we, we learned that, you know, God has restored us to this place where we don't have to look at the past and what we've done. We can realize, wait a minute. I'm a child of God. I've always been a child of God. In fact, he's blotted out any of that past that I think I have to be ashamed for. It's gone. It's wiped away. So live in this new life as sons and daughters. And so today, I want to wrap up this series, The Message of Christmas, and I want to talk about this idea of being reconciled. Say reconciled. Now, what does the Bible have to say about reconciliation? Reconciliation is defined as the restoration of friendly relations. So in the Bible, reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between both God and man and man and man. We can see this all through the scriptures. And it assumes that there's been a breakdown in the relationship, whether it's estrangement or just complete, like at odds, there's no relationship left. But then there's this change from a state of, we would call it enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. And this is the thing that that I truly believe, even when I go all the way back to the earliest story of man, the creation story in the garden, is that God never broke relationship with us. But what we did is we saw this strained relationship or this estranged relationship. Uh, We broke fellowship with God. We felt like, okay, and that's really part of the lie. Tom and, I, Tom and I talk about this a lot, that really it wasn't some evil, devious, like they were plotting something bad. You know, we're going to do some crazy thing. We're going to bomb a, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was literally saying, oh, okay, I believe a lie that I'm not like God, and so now I have to do things to get like God. That's all it was. It, really, in, its, in a small form, But look what that has done to humanity as a whole. Now we're in this state of mind that we're less than God and we're not created in his image and likeness. We're not part of the family. And so what do we do? We act out who we think we are. Anytime I see someone who's acting out, whether it's good or bad, it all comes from a belief system within themselves. And it comes from a belief system of who they think they are. Come on. In fact, have you ever seen someone who's doing really good, and usually we go, who do they think they are? Well, obviously, they think they're more like God than you do. Whoa. Come on, that's just to put a little check in you, huh? So it's important that we see this. And so there was this change. But what I see is that reconciliation, where the relationship is turned from one of enmity and fragmentation into this beautiful fellowship and harmony, that God extended this to humanity without us even asking, without us doing it first. Come on. And so the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, he says, for if while we were enemies, say enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, say much more, now that we are reconciled, say reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, we can just read over this. It's, it's easy to read over things, right? But do you realize what Paul's saying? He says, while we were enemies. See, most of us, if we have an enemy, we don't think about, man, what good thing can I do for my enemy today? I'm just being honest. 
I mean, there's people to this day, like, they rub you the wrong way, and my initial response is, what good thing can I do for them? But while we were enemies, God reconciled us to himself. He said, listen, the relationship is mended, it's repaired. But here's the thing, we have to believe it in order to walk in it. Do you see this? And then he goes on to say much more. Now that we're reconciled, he's speaking past tense as if it's already been done. Guess what? It has been. Maybe you haven't awakened to it yet, but it's already done. Look at this. Shall we be saved by his life? This word saved or sozo means rescue, deliverance, wholeness, healing. It's beautiful. How many know that we're on a journey? We're experiencing this in life. But see, we can't begin to experience that until we see the reconciled state that God has brought us to. Now, I love this here in the mirror translation. It says, our hostility and indifference towards God did not reduce his love for us. Isn't that beautiful? Look at this. This next statement is powerful. I want you to catch this. He saw equal value in us when he exchanged the life of his son for ours. Do you realize what this is saying? You were worth it. He saw equal value in you. You're like, well, how could he see equal value? I mean, the son of God, because you're sons of God. Right? God doesn't have a favorite. He loves us all the same. And so it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to give up a lot here, you guys, so I can get your little wasted, you know, crazy, demented, you know, worm-like selves. He saw value in us. And he desired relationship. And he said, in fact, I'm going to start this thing. I'm going to initiate. I'm going to reconcile the world to myself. Do you notice he didn't say just the Jews or just the good ones, the ones who practice law? He said the world. Sometimes we read that and we're like, yeah, he reconciled us. Why? Because I go to church every Sunday, brother. Nope, the world. See, sometimes we can't see that those outside the four walls who don't go to church and pray and read their Bible have been reconciled as well. That's why Paul goes on to say that you've been reconciled. Why? So that you then have the ministry of reconciliation. You can go to people and say, hey, you've been reconciled. Now, maybe don't use that word. They might not know what that means. But it's an opportunity for us to see, wow, we have family that doesn't even know their family yet. This is beautiful. And as I was reading this, listen to this. It says, now that the act of reconciliation is complete, say it's complete. You just have to believe it. You just have to believe it. Say that again. You just have to believe it. You're like, you're making us say stuff. I know I want us to get this. Look at this. His life, his life in us saves us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Isn't that cool? And as I was going through this, I was like, I'm going to throw verse 15 in there. Look at this. The only similarity in the comparison between the crash landing and the gift, we could say the offense and the gift of, of salvation, is that both Adam and Christ, listen to this, represent the masses. So we have Adam, we could say first Adam, and then we have Christ, who is called last Adam. Does anyone know that? You have first Adam and last Adam. Last means to me that it's the last one they'll ever be, right? So you have first and last, there's a comparison. They both represent the masses. Look at this. However, the grace gift, say grace gift, 
lavished upon mankind in the one man, Jesus Christ, get this, supersedes the effect of Adam's failure by far and is beyond comparison in significance to the idea of death and separation. A lot of words, but are, are you seeing what's being said here? In other words, what Jesus did was so much greater than what Adam did. What last Adam did was so much more powerful than what the first Adam did. Are you picking this up? In fact, Paul introduces this word here, this word offense, and I love that he translates it crash landing. It's actually the word parapetoma. Really, you should roll the R's, ask Tom. Parapetoma, which means offense, and it comes from the word para, meaning closest possible proximity, and the word pipto, which means to descend from a higher place to a lower place. It literally means to stop flying. Now, this reminds me of things like God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. That's the problem. It's right here. We're transformed, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of our mind. We have to think on things from above, not beneath. That's the problem with most people, even myself in certain areas of my life. I don't see myself like God does. My thought patterns aren't like his. I see myself down here. That was the problem with Adam and Eve. They were actually already here, but they thought themselves to be down here. And they believed the lie. Isn't this cool? No wonder he says in Colossians chapter 3, if you were raised with Christ, raise your hand. How many raised with Christ? Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things where? Above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with God, or with Christ in God. So many times we see scriptures like this, and we're like, that's right, i gotta, I got to just think of more moral things. i got to think of better things. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying, set your thought patterns with where God thinks, not where the systems of the world think. Is this making sense? The mere translation says to engage our thoughts with the things that are above where we are co-elevated and jointly enthroned in the heavenlies together with Christ. It's so beautiful. And then I want to look at Romans 5.10 again in the Wymouth New Testament from 1912. 1912, that's crazy. What's that, like 90 years ago? Look at this translation. This is powerful. If this doesn't set you free, it's going to take a bit, but I want you to hear this. But God's free gift immeasurably outweighs the transgression. Did you catch that? His free gift immeasurably outweighs the transgression. For if through the transgression, one of, of the one individual, speaking of Adam, the mass of mankind have died, infinitely greater is the generosity wherewith God's grace and the gift given in his grace, which found expression in the one man, Jesus Christ, look at this, has been bestowed on the mass of mankind. First of all, this should give you a better clue to who you are. But then it should give you a better understanding and maybe a paradigm shift in how you think God sees others. I really want us to see this. This reconciled life is huge. Can you see how big this gift from God is? Now, I know some people that's, listen, I've talked to people who are like, man, pastor, I just, 
And I, I know their heart. They're like, Pastor, I just give me some more rules. Give me some regulations, man. I get the freedom we have, but I just I, I need you to give me some lines to live within. And I, I understand that that thought pattern. I mean, I've been there. And it doesn't mean I'm better than someone else because I've moved on. But even Paul says that the law was a schoolmaster for a time. Listen, eventually your kids should graduate from school. Right? I mean, I get it. Maybe some kids are super seniors. You know, they go to 13th grade, which means they repeat 12th grade again. Hey, I get it. Whatever. No condemnation. But if you're 25 and you're still in high school, it's time to grow up, get some understanding, mature, and become your own person. Does this make sense? And I'm not trying to be mean or mad, but whenever Paul would see people try to put people back under law, it would just fire him up. He's like, listen, that's elementary. That's for young children. We're talking about adults spiritually who don't need a nanny and a schoolmaster. I mean, we're talking about this new covenant where no longer will anyone, you know, teach you about the Lord. You have Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean we don't listen to teachers, but I I want people to, to, to get to a place where they want to mature and grow out of rules and regulations and let love be the guide for their life. Jesus called us to one thing, one command. He said, love others. Highest commandment, love others. And here's what I found. Whenever I make a decision, if I'm making sure that I'm loving that person or myself in that decision, I will make the right decision. Plain and simple. Because unconditional love, it never does things to benefit self. It does things to benefit others. And so I found that love is that royal law, the royal love of law, uh, law of love, I'm sorry, that's written on my heart if I go by that. So I understand when people are like, I really, I was talking to a brother last week and he's like, man, just, we, we had some great conversations or we're working together. And he's kind of in this journey where he's like, man, I'm one foot in one side, one foot in the other, he's not sure. But you know what's great when you can talk to someone who doesn't have the same exact belief system, but you still love each other? You're still brothers in Christ. It's, it's beautiful. It's so refreshing. But even in the midst of that, he's like, man, I, I hear everything you're saying. But, man, that's just so hard sometimes because sometimes I feel like I just need a little bit of, you know. But I told him, I said, well, listen, love isn't just ooey gooey like nothing matters. I love you. No, sometimes love is pretty strong. Sometimes Holy Spirit, by his love, will say, mm, that's not good actions. You shouldn't talk to your kids like that. You shouldn't think like that. You shouldn't treat people like that. I'm like, oh, it doesn't mean there's no discipline. But what it means is we begin to mature to a place where Holy Spirit, we hear the voice of spirit. Does this make sense? I don't want to ramble on forever. But see, this really comes from this idea of being reconciled. Again, can you see how big this gift of reconciliation is, this reconciled life? Do you see what it means? It's so much greater than anything that we've done, whether it be good or bad. So what I want to do this morning is just take the next few minutes with this idea in mind that we've been reconciled. And I want to look at Luke chapter 1, at the story of Mary's visitation from the angel. This is a very popular portion of scripture during this time where the angel Gabriel, you know, announces this great message to Mary. And I want to pick up in verse 31. And behold, say behold. In other words, listen up. I got something to say. Now listen to what the angel says to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, when we read this, it's very easy to just read it as religious scripture stuff. But how many know that Mary was a Jew? So he's using some language here that she understands. This is one thing that I've realized in life, that God speaks to you in a way that you understand. And one thing, I never hear Holy Spirit, thus thou hast, because I'm not King James style, right? We hear in a way, and God speaks our language so that we can understand. So she understands what the angel's saying. And then we look at the Gospel of John, and he refers to this, this happening as the Word of God, Jesus taking flesh and becoming fully human. 100% God, 100% human. And I was talking to Pete about this a couple months ago. I said, you know, this just kind of, this revelation came to me one day. I said, I was looking at the, the creation story. Excuse me. And I saw that, and this is one of the most beautiful things in the story to me. Because so many times we forget chapters 1 and, and 2, and we go right to chapter 3, and that's where we begin. And so I've already had this revelation that when God created man, he created mankind good. Uh, he was very pleased. Uh, we were created in God's image and likeness, and that calling has never changed. In fact, I want to get into this later, but I was thinking about this morning, and Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. When God sent them out of the garden, we see this as a negative thing, like he sent them away. But you and I were talking, that word sent is like the Greek word, uh, what's that word? Ex apostolo, which is sent one, an apostle. God literally sent them out saying, your mission hasn't changed. Go be who I called you to be. Now, that's a different way to look at it, right? But in the garden story, I see where even in the midst of this fall, believe in the lie, God comes to Adam and Eve who are naked and ashamed and fearful. And what does God do? Anyone know? He clothes them with animal skins. Why? To cover their shame. Why? So that they're okay with God. They feel okay with God. Not so God could go, I can't look at you. Please put this on. No, no. Like children, come here, come here. Let's clothe you. It's okay. Listen, okay. I, I, listen, I know you messed up. I know you messed up. I know you didn't trust me. It's okay. Let me clothe you like a good parent would. Isn't that beautiful? But then I flash forward to the story of Jesus, and this is so beautiful, and I hope I don't get emotional. But I see that God himself came to earth and clothed himself in our skin. In other words, your skin's okay. Come on. Pastor, what are you saying, that everyone's great and it's, everyone's saved? No, saved is quite a process. I'm not completely saved. I'm working out my salvation. And not everyone believes even where I am. What I'm saying is that God's saying, God is saying, the original state I created you in, that's who you are. But you have to see it. You can't walk in it unless you see it. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to clothe myself. God himself clothed himself in human skin to show us that I'm okay with human skin. Isn't that powerful? Now, when this happened, in Christian theology, it's known as the incarnation. We've spoken of this, you know, quite often. 
Are you aware, though, that Mary is also known as the Theotokos, which means God-bearer? And so we have this transaction that's happening, this message that's coming forth from the angel Gabriel, where he's saying, I'm actually going to inhabit human flesh, and Mary, you are going to be the God-bearer. Do you follow so far? I mean, this is the Christmas story, right? God becoming flesh, dwelling among us, the reconciliation of God man. We know that Jesus, we look all through the Gospels, and he came to clear up our view of God. He wanted us to see the kingdom within ourselves. Repent, for the kingdom of God is within you, not without. It's within. Let it out. But perhaps some of us have grown up with a different picture of God. And this is the thing that I really... I like to deal with this because how we see God affects how we see ourselves. And so maybe, you know, the picture you have is the angry, retributive, and petty God. I've come to this place where I realize that's not actually the God that we serve. That's an Old Testament God named Moloch. That's a Greek God named Zeus. They're angry, retributive, they're petty. You need to sacrifice. You need to give. And we don't have a ton of time this morning, but man, it's all through Scripture. I mean, even when Israel basically refused covenant with God and sent Moses instead, I believe he acquiesced to their way and said, listen, I know that you're stuck in cultural ideas and sacrifices and temples and arcs and covenants. Let's roll with that. I'll acquiesce to that as long as we can stay connected. Because later we see him say, I'm, I'm sick of your feasts and your festivals. Your sacrifices stink to me. Why? You don't get it. That was a vehicle to get you to a place to see the truth. You didn't get it. You're like every other nation now. God wanted them to shine shine so bright, this beautiful, wonderful God, that the nations would literally, it says in Scripture, be jealous for that God. I want that God. That God is so much better than our God. Does that make sense? And so we have this picture of Moloch or Zeus But the Apostle Paul tells us that God is love and that we love because he first loved us. The Apostle James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you hear what they're saying about God? So I believe that we need to let go of the angry God image that got stuck in our heads somewhere along the way and realize that God wants to be near us. That's what I was going to say, is even in this culture, when they were told there's, there's five major sacrifices uh, in, in Leviticus and in, in they're told how to do it. Do you know the very first scripture, if you look at the original Hebrew, it's a God who says, draw near to me. No other gods in culture at this time said, draw near to me. You stayed as far away as you could. You would let your priest handle things, and you would hope by God that that sacrifice of your son or your daughter, that that blood would appease the God, and the God would be okay with you. But this God says, draw near to me. Already trying to change their mind about who God was. And so we have to understand that God wants to be near to us. He wants close relationship with us. And God was even willing to die to show us our reconciliation to him. Isn't that beautiful? I want to look back at chapter, or verse 33 of Luke chapter 1 and just go through a few things here. The angel says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now when we read this, 
again, we can get real religious or Christmassy about it and go, oh, that's a beautiful story. God comes from heaven. He has his kingdom. But look at the terminology, the house of Jacob, referring to Israel, a kingdom that would reign forever. When I look at the story, Mary would have understood this in one sense, that her son was going to be the Messiah, right? The anointed king that the prophets had talked about. She's a good Jewish girl. She understands the law and the prophets and what this means. Not just any king, but the king who would bring about God's purposes. And I don't know if you know this historically, but Mary actually belongs to the royal line of David, King David. Did you know that? If you looked at the genealogy. But a lot of things have gone crazy over the centuries, and she's royalty, yet now she's this poor peasant girl living in a small village called Nazareth. The royal line had actually, uh, actually is now descending from the Herods. Anyone heard of the Herods, the Herodians? They stole the bloodline. They stole the crown. And yet the angel says to her, your son Jesus is going to be a king. Now, I want to put perspective in this because you're like, well, how is this going to happen then? How, Jesus a king, I mean, I get it. Somewhere way back, that's my royal line, but it's been cut off. It's been sabotaged. It's been stolen. And not only that, this kingdom will never end. Never end. I mean, Israel's kingdom has ended. The Romans are occupying now, and they rule us. There's a lot going on in this young lady's head, I believe. And she may have been able to accept this message, but she could not comprehend how it would happen and what that kingdom would actually look like. Maybe she could imagine what it would look like, as the Jews did, including the disciples, but how many know they got it wrong? They were looking for a warrior Messiah king who would overthrow Rome and reestablish the throne of Israel. Guess what? They didn't get that. That's not why Jesus came. But I really want to zero in on this, this last part here. He, he makes this great announcement to Mary, and then she has a question for him. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Or we could say, I don't know a man. I mean, let's put it in today. She's like, hey, Gabriel, uh, apparently you've never had health class in fifth and sixth grade. You have to know a man. That's the only way this is going to happen. And this is why we need to understand that we've been reconciled. This is why this is so important, knowing who you are and what you've been called to in your purpose in life. Because it's easy to go, come on, Mary. I mean, this is God we're talking about. Don't you know that Jesus is going to, you know, Holy Spirit is going to come and overshadow you and you'll conceive? No, she didn't know all that. She didn't quite understand all that. That was foreign to her. We get to read the story 2,000 years later and go, come on, Mary, what were you thinking? Why would you ask a question like that? But here's the thing. We ask questions like that. Let's make it personal. When Spirit speaks to us and announces a message of God doing something through us, maybe something bigger than we even think we're capable of, our initial reaction is to come up with reasons why it can't be done. I don't know enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not qualified. I don't know the right people. It's all in who you know. I don't know the right people. We could sum it up in one statement. I don't know a man. We look for reasons. That's what we tend to do as human beings. And she says, how can this be? I don't know a man. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. 
oh, wait, wait, how is this going to happen? The Holy Spirit. How can this be? The Holy Spirit. But I don't know a man. You don't need to know a man. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and it will come to pass. Do you see this? You see, her limitations or impossibilities don't matter because she is about to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Mary, again, we we said this earlier, is the unique Theotokos or God-bearer. But see, when I look at stories like this, they're not just a story of something that happened thousands of years ago. It's a story about us as humanity. Mary, then, is really a type and shadow of who we are in this new way, the new covenant. And I believe that just as she has given birth to Jesus, the incarnation, we too, listen to me, we too are to give birth to something holy, seeking incarnation. In other words, we are all God-bearers. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a God-bearer. Look at the person on the other side and say, you are a God-bearer. See, we as believers bear God's image in this world. And we talk about this a lot, but can you see how this Christmas story is much more than something that happened at a certain time in a certain place thousands of years ago? This affects us here and now. This story is a proclamation of who we are in this world. Listen, we carry life and salvation on the inside of us, right? It's Christ. Christ is fleshed out, if you will, through us. I believe that this is the whole point to our relationship with Heavenly Father. I was thinking about this as I was going over my notes, and I thought about how many times I've said or someone said to me, wow, your son or your daughter, I can see a little bit of you in them. Like even down to, like Chris and I'll be like, hey, they have a good blend of mom and dad, don't they? What if we were to start seeing people around us, wow, I can see a little God in them, can't you? Come on now. Oh man, they're reflecting a little God. Well, look at those mannerisms. That looks just like Jesus to me. Isn't that cool? You see our prayer and our Bible study, our contemplation, our communion, all the things that we do, it's just their mechanisms, their their ritual, whatever word you want to use, to refocus on our task of bearing God's image to the world. It's not just something to keep just within us, it's what are you doing, Holy Spirit? The whole point is to be overshadowed by, this, by the Holy Spirit. It's to be immersed in the Spirit. It's to be filled with the Spirit so we can then give birth to something that is truly holy. And when I say holy, I'm not talking about religious piety. It's referring to something that's set apart, that's something that's different from what the world and its systems have to offer, something that is whole and complete. You getting this? You see, the Spirit of God is always seeking human expression to become flesh and dwell among us. And so just as Mary conceived God's salvation, Jesus, he seeks to conceive his salvation in us to reach the world around us. So I want to end with this, this question. What does it look like when the Spirit overshadows us, when the Spirit indwells us? And I just have a couple examples Real-world examples, Mother Teresa. Anyone heard of Mother Teresa? She began missionary work with the poor in 1948. In 1950, she began the Missionaries of Charity, and in her words, it would care for the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, 
all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society. People that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. This was her mission. This is what I believe was birthed within her and actually became flesh into this world. On March 13, 1997, Teresa resigned as the head of the Missionaries of Charity, and she died on the 5th of September. But look at this. At the time of her death, the Missionaries of Charity had over 4,000 sisters, an associate brotherhood of 300 members, operating 610 missions in 123 countries. And a little side note, she still felt like she wasn't good enough. I don't think she I don't think she really realized how she was the apple of her father's eye and she didn't even know it. But even in the midst of that, not even fully understanding that, look what she fleshed out. Here's another one. Saint Nicholas. Yeah, Saint Nicholas is real. Come on, y'all. He was well known for his work with the poor and his plea to the Emperor Constantine to lower the taxes of the poor. He really had a heart for those who had less than, those who didn't have enough. In his most famous exploit, Nicholas aided a poor man who had three daughters but could not afford a proper dowry for them. How many are familiar with a dowry? So like in ancient times, a dowry was land, money, something of value that would actually go along with the bride. I know it sounds like, what? Yeah, so how much is she worth, basically? And a lot of times, especially with royalty and and people of upper class, they would actually arrange marriages on purpose to keep power and control and money, right? We all, we come on, we've seen, you know, all these different things on TV and movies. In fact, I would say today, the only difference is it's father of the bride pays for the wedding, right? So that's kind of the dowry. You're paying, how much is this wedding? 35,000, are you kidding me? But in this time, if, if a young lady didn't have a dowry, that would mean that they're not desirable and they would usually not get married. And for them, they would remain unmarried, of course, and probably in the absence of any other possible employment, they would even have to go to the length of selling themselves for money. That's how bad it was in this time. So hearing of the girl's plight, Nicholas decided to help them, but being too modest to help the family in public or to save them maybe from the humiliation of accepting charity, he went to the house under cover of night and threw three purses, one for each daughter, filled with gold coins through the window into the house. In other words, I want to make sure they all have a dowry so they can get married. But he did it in a cover of night so no one knew. He was delivering gifts in the night. Come on. One version has him throwing one purse for three consecutive nights. Another has him throwing the purses over a period of three years, each time the night before one of the daughters comes of age. But get this, the third time, the father actually lies in wait, trying to discover the identity of their benefactor. And when Nicholas learns of the poor man's plan, he drops the third bag down the chimney instead. A variant holds that the daughter had washed her stockings that evening, hung them over the embers to dry, and that bag of gold fell into the stocking. And you wonder where we get certain stories from. But the point is, St. Nicholas had a heart for the poor. He had a heart for those who were the have-nots. He wanted to see people enjoy life on this earth. And so what did he do? He literally allowed this 
this cause for the poor to be birthed and fleshed out in his life. Isn't that beautiful? There's so many examples we could take, even uh, ones of now in Faith City Outreach. Think about that, whether it's Michigan campus or the Florida campus. You know, there's times that we've helped a single mom pay her electric bill or her consumer's bill. There's times we've helped people with gas and gas money. There's times we help people pay their rent or mortgage so they wouldn't lose their place of dwelling. You know, we do things like the Expo Kids Zone. We're there to offer a smile and a hand and give out gifts and let people know that they're loved. Maybe small, but you don't know how far that smile can go or that gift can go. Feeding the homeless. They, in, in Florida, monthly, they have a, a connection with a group where they go and help feed the homeless. Other community outreaches. And as a community, we bear God's image in this world. These are ways that we can flesh these things out. And we're looking for ways in 2023 to connect with the local places that are doing things well, whether it's ministry to the poor, you know, uh, food pantries, different things like that, so we can help you get involved in things like this. So stay tuned. But I want to end with this question. What about you and me? What about you and me? How do we bear the image of God in this world? What is it that God's called us to? What is our bent? What is our gift? What is our talent? What is our purpose in life? It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day that we forget about these things. And it could be something as simple as what God gives you to announce or give to people on the job or in school or a social group, even church, whatever they may be. But I think at the end of the day, it's just being open. It's being open and saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that you've called me to do in this life? Allow the Holy Spirit to birth ways of bringing God's salvation to those around you. Holy Spirit, what is it that I'm to do? And some of you are doing it. I hear your stories and I'm just like, wow. I mean, you have just, you've heard the voice of Spirit. Things are coming to fruition. They're being birthed in your life and you're ministering to people. And nothing's too small. Sometimes they're like, oh, look what Mother Teresa did. I'm not influencing 123 countries. Maybe that's not your calling. And guess what? Mother Teresa didn't do it on her own. She had sisters and men and people around the world who were helping run organizations. But it started with one person who birthed this, I believe, conceived by God, this this salvation to save the world. Salvation, deliverance, rescue wholeness, healing, safety. Come on. Do you see how it's not just about us? I got salvation, brother. What's that mean? I don't know. I think it means I go to heaven when I die. It's so much more than that. Salvation is something that we're working out, not just for ourselves, but for others. Amen? And it's so much fun to be included in the gospel. So let's take this Christmas story of incarnation and make it personal. Let's choose today that we will be God's image bearers to this world. Are you with me? Awesome. Will you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the incarnation. Just the very idea that you, God, would put on flesh, would show us what it's like to live from your kingdom to operate according to kingdom law, the law of love. Man, Jesus, your life is amazing. 
But when I see your life, it's the perfect example of who I am as a son of God, who we are as sons and daughters of God. That's not speaking too high of ourselves. We know that we're not God, but we know that we're in the family and we have purpose. We have Holy Spirit conceived ideas and ways to work kingdom out to help those around us. Help us to see that. Help us to hear that angel. That word just means messenger. To hear that messenger to know this is the way that I need to go in life. This is my calling. This is my purpose. This is what I'm called to do. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the calling on my life. Holy Spirit, I'm open. I'm all ears. What is it that you want to conceive in me to bring salvation to this world? I pray we would hear your voice, that still small voice, that we take time maybe to get away, be quiet, and just listen. And we thank you that there's such a fulfillment when we're included in the gospel. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God is so good. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.